The first reading today is from Genesis 1, verses 24 to 31. It's easy to find on page 2 of your church Bibles. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had made all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And the second reading is from Colossians 1, 15 to 17, which is on page 1182 of the Church Bible. The sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I'm going to throw up on the screen for you a uh, a picture of some very impressive young men. Well, Mandy's going to do it for me. Okay. These, uh, these bad boys uh, are a group called the Bloodhound Gang. Right? They uh, were an American punk rock hip-hop band. Probably you've got, all got them on the, your playlist, I expect. Uh, these guys recorded a song called The Bad Touch. And in the chorus of that song, it says this. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Okay, now they're... They're making a philosophical point in a fairly sort of crass way. You would have picked it up. But basically what they're saying is we are no different uh, to any other animal. So therefore, we should feel free to behave like animals without any moral compass at all. Now, you may not think it's really smart to go to a group of punk rockers to get your input on the philosophical meaning of life and your purpose. Uh, And I get, get that. But the point is, you all know that these guys are just echoing a view that is held by prominent 20th and 21st century intellectuals about who we are and what we're like. People like Peter Singer. Uh, Peter's, men will throw him up on the screen. He's currently a professor of bioethics at Princeton University. He's an Australian by birth. But he is a brilliant evolutionary... Oh, thank you, brother. You're very kind. Uh, you're worried I was going to kick it over, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Peter Singer 
a brilliant evolutionary biologist and ethicist. He's, a, he's also a prolific author on this sort of area, particularly of animal liberationist and uh, animal liberation and areas such as that. Um, his books are on the recommended reading lists of uh, most prominent universities throughout the Western world in terms of input on ethical thinking, particularly as it relates to animals and uh, humanity. In one of his books, he says this, to give preference to the life of a being simply because that being is a member of our species would put us in the same position as racists who give preference to those who are member, members of their race. And you pick up what he is saying at this point. There is no essential difference between us and animals. And if you think there is, you're a speciesists. I can't quite... I really find it hard to say that word, right? Uh, but what he's saying is you're the, uh, the equivalent of a racist by differentiating between different species of uh, creation. That's the point being made. Now, today we're focusing on the nature of what it means to be human. And we all know that humanity is an extraordinary enigma. Uh, we're capable of kindness, of generosity, of self-sacrifice, compassion... We can be extraordinarily creative. And yet you also know that uh, human beings are capable of greater evil than any other animal or species on the face of the planet. We can be malicious, cruel, uh, destructive. And of course, if we flipped a bit further forward in Genesis to Genesis chapter 3, what we'd pick up there are some of the reasons uh, for why human beings are like they are. It's because of a rejection of God, and that uh, brings with it evil entering into our world. But today, what I want to do is stick with Genesis chapter 1 and focus on what it means to be human. Who are we in the created economy of God's purposes? That's what we're looking at. Now, as an outline in the leaflet uh, that might help you as we, we go along, feel free to use that or, or not. We saw last week that uh, God is the hero of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, he is mentioned 35 times uh, in this opening chapter, the subject of every sentence. Right? And what we discover is that he is the one who creates and controls everything. He exists before all things and he is good. Right? He, he is generous and his generosity is reflected in absolutely everything that he has made. That's the way in which our world comes into existence. Uh, the world is not a random accident of nature in a meaningless universe. That's not the world in which we live. Uh, everything God has made has purpose, and that includes human beings. And what we discover as we look at this chapter, and we saw it last week, is that this, this um, first, this opening part of the Bible is a very sophisticated piece of literature and the way it's written highlights the major points that are being made, right? It is in intricate. It's not simplistic childhood stuff, although it's simple enough for a child to understand. And you pick that up when it comes to the nature of human beings. Um, so when we look at this chapter, you, you see the relationship between human beings and non-human beings. And creation that's non-human is defined by its relationship to human beings. Right? Humanity is at the centre of what God is doing. Uh, for example, in verse 14 of chapter 1, we're told there that the, the sun and the moon, uh, they're not cosmologically defined, 
right? But they're there to mark out seasons or calendar order, and that is essentially for the benefit of people. Right? That's what's going on here. Uh, did you notice that on day six, when we come to the creation of human beings, it's like a key change in a song? Um, now, I want to be really honest here. I do not have a musical bone in my body, right? I know nothing, I can play nothing, and I generally just sing out of tune. Right? That, that's just who I am, okay? But even I know that when people like Simon and a band are leading out the front and they have a key change in a song, it's because we're either hitting the climax of the song or a big point is being made. Okay, that's, that's the reason for the key changes. I'm just not if I'm on the... Oh, thank you, Simon, for your reassuring, right? Uh, when you get to here, uh, uh, day six, what we see is a key change. The, the whole thing slows down. There are twice as many words in day six as any other day prior to it. And you see, time is spent just elaborating the nature of who people are in the pattern of God. There's a distinction made between animals and humans. If you go to verse 24, we're told, uh, this is what God says, let the land produce living creatures. But then when you get to verse 26, and we're talking about human beings, let us make man in our own image. It's different. There's a real focus here. Uh, the literary structure of this day in verses 24 and 25, one end, we have the animals. In verses 29 and 30, we have the provision of food uh, for animals and human beings. But the centerpiece of this day, verses 26 to 28, is all about humanity. And even down to the detail of the language that's used, it is extraordinarily deliberate. There are two words used throughout chapter 1 to talk about God's creative work, two different Hebrew words. Now, I know it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You probably didn't come for a Hebrew lesson, right? But it's a simple one, right? It's, it's just a simple point that, that occurs here. There's the word make that is used throughout uh, this chapter. It's the Hebrew word asar. And it comes up, for example, in verse 7 or verse 16 or verse 25, when God makes expanse or the lights or the animals. But I want you to notice that there's a different word used for uh, creating, and it is the word create or the Hebrew word bara, and that comes up in verse 1. Where in verse 27, it's actually said three times in relation to human beings. Now, it's a deliberate focus on why human beings are important. And let me try and explain the difference. Um, when I uh, got out of bed today, I made my bed, okay? Actually, I didn't make my bed, which tells you how important it was to me, but, you know, I should have made my bed when I got out. At it's, a, it's an indifferent task I'm not particularly attached to, all right? My son-in-law is an artist, and he paints. Now, when he paints... He doesn't make a painting. <laughs> he creates a work of art because he, 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 he's invested in it and connected to it in a way that's very different from when I make a bit. That's the difference being made here in chapter 1, the distinction being made. God makes, but God creates human beings. Three times in verse 27, God created man, God created him, male and female, he created them. We are 
exceptionally important in the plans and the purposes of God. Now, they're just sort of um, literary clues, if you like, that you see as you go through this chapter. But then when we get to verse 27, right at the centre of day six, it's all spelt out very explicitly. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does that mean? See, when I jumped up um, to speak this morning, did you think Paul Harrington, right? He reminds me so much of God, right? (laughs) I'm thinking probably not, you know. Um, But what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And over the years, there's been a lot of debate around this one, uh, debate about whether it's physical appearance or intelligence or the ability to reason or creativity or the capacity for relationships or lots lots and lots of different ideas have been thrown around. But of course, the best way to work it out, and generally the best way to work out these sort of things is always looking in, at the Bible in its context. best way to work it out is to look at the context in which this is said in Genesis chapter 1. And there are two things that come to the fore. One is that uh, human beings are created with a unique relational capacity and then the second is that they are given delegated responsibility and authority in this world right relationship and then responsibility within the world let me talk relationally Uh, the relational dimension occurs both with God and with one another Uh, when it says in verse 27 male and female he created them you think well yeah of course you know I get that that's straightforward Um, But it's interesting with the animal world, there's no mention of male and female. And as you go through um, the rest of chapter 2 and then through the rest of the Bible, there is a significance that is given in terms of the way in which God creates. Now, we could spend forever on this one, uh, and it's obviously incredibly topical and relevant today, but I'm just pointing it out that God creates with a certain intentionality at that point. But the other thing you see here that I do want to focus on is that God clearly creates people to have relationship with himself in a way that he doesn't create animals to do. Right? You, you can see, for example, back in verse 24, uh, we're told uh, God says, let the land produce living creatures. You know, it's a command from God to achieve something. Notice in verse 27, uh, sorry, verse 28, We're told God blessed them, that is the people he created, and said to them. God, what we're seeing set up right here at the start is the fact that God communicates with human beings in a way that he doesn't with the animal world. He speaks directly to us. It's personal. Second thing we see is that there's delegated Uh, responsibility or authority given in the world. So if you go to verse 26, the command is for people to rule over the fish of the sea, uh, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Or if you move along to verse 28, uh, the instruction there is to subdue the earth and to rule over it. Now do you notice here, right from the outset, there is both privilege 
and responsibility that God gives us. God entrusts his good creation to us to enjoy, right? Because it's good. We're meant to enjoy the world that he's given to us. But also, did you notice we're to care for it? Uh, That is, God has given us the world on trust. And our task is to manage it in line with his character and his purposes and his intentions. It's not not ours to trash at will. It's ours to superintend and care for under his uh, divine authority. Right? Relationship, responsibility. Now, what I'm going to do for just a few minutes is try and unpack some of the implications of that. Uh, That is, we've looked at some of the theory of the uniqueness of human beings. We've sketched it very thinly, but nonetheless, uh, we've got the outline. I want to tease it out for a few moments about what it means on the ground to be made in the image of God. The first thing is to talk about the, the dignity and the value of all people. Now, Peter Singer, I mentioned it before, he says we have no more value than a pet dog or a pet chicken. That is, we're just in exactly the same situation and our our value is is comparable. But can I say that that when you read this opening chapter of the Bible, we aren't the the result of a random throw of evolutionary dice. That's not who we are. God's made us in his image and therefore we have intrinsic value. Now, one of the, the results of that, or the outworkings of that, is we, we won't be utilitarian. Right? Now, what I mean by that is we won't value people because of what they can do or what they can give. We, if we're followers of the Lord Jesus, if we believe the scriptures at this point, We don't differentiate the worth of people based on their gifts or their personality or their intelligence or their beauty or their success. We actually value people because God has made them in his image. Now, that's why Christians all throughout the centuries have been at the forefront of human rights in a range of areas. Uh, we've had social concern when it's come to slavery or infanticide or abortion or euthanasia. That is, uh, we've always been people who've been concerned to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves because they are valuable in the sight of God. You see the way in which this truth is taught actually very consistently throughout the whole Bible. I'm going to take you to James chapter 3. It'll come up on the screen. Um, It's an example uh, from a New Testament letter of the way in which we uh, should speak, use our tongues carefully as we talk to one another. And uh, it links the whole idea of being created in the image of God to the way in which we use our tongues. Let me just read it and make a couple of comments. It's James 3 verses 9 and 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse human beings. Now, this is a letter written to a church that were obviously not being careful with the way they use their tongue. They were ripping down each other in different ways. So he says, with the tongue, we're praising our Lord and Father, but with it, you're also cursing human beings who have been made in God's image or likeness. 
Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now, do you get the, the couple of points are being made, but one of the core points here is the inconsistency of praising God and then cursing or denigrating or pulling down people who've been made in the image of God. See, that is just outrageous and totally inconsistent. You cannot do that. If you believe in God and you believe he has made people in his image, how can you possibly go, go around ripping into them and destroying them with your tongue? It's inconsistent, just totally. It just flows directly from this teaching right, right at the start of the Bible. Now, maybe uh, you're really good in the way in which you use your tongue and you never rip, rip, rip off anyone or pull them down or insult them in any way. And well done if that's you. Uh, if you are that person, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty unusual. But I think this is a blind spot for all of us in different ways, failing to see the way in which God has created in his image. Let me try and just throw out a few possibilities to help you think about it, as I've tried to do for myself. I want you to imagine that you're, um, you're in town, going down the mall, or maybe you know Jetty Road down here at Brighton, and you're walking along, and you see a dishevelled beggar on the side of the road, uh, you know, 75 metres up on the same side you're on. Now, you don't, you're not going to have to share this with anyone. What's your instinct at that point? Do you um, notice there's a shop on the other side of the road you'd really like to go and look at? Or do you just skirt around that person by a fair way? Or do you just avert your eyes? Or... You know what I mean? Like, how do you respond at that point? I'm not saying it's a straightforward issue. What I am saying is that person on the side of the road has been made in the image of God, just like you or I have, and they deserve to be treated with dignity and with uh, proper love and with proper care. Okay? There might be other areas that you find this is an issue for you. Maybe it's um, how you relate to someone with mental or physical impairments and you find, find yourself just struggling to work out how to do that and tending to spend lost time with them, less time with them. Maybe it's the poor, maybe it's um, even certain nationalities. Uh, possibly you're a bit ageist. And you think those who are suffering in decline with dementia don't warrant much of your time. Made in the image of God. You see, if you dispense with God, it's natural to think about what people can do for you or what they contribute to a society and to see their measure as based on their capacities to benefit. Natural way to think. But if you know God, you know that he's made people in his image and that changes absolutely everything. Totally. Peter Singer's interesting case in point. Uh, his ageing mother uh, developed, al- I think it was Alzheimer's, um, uh, around the turn of the century. And 
he, according to his uh, views, believed that when someone moved into that sort of space of uh, declining Alzheimer's degenerative illness, that their value uh, diminished for society and therefore little by way of resources and energy should be invested in them. Uh, Singer's own mother had exactly that same view, right? So he didn't hold it independent of her. She got Alzheimer's and what happened was that Singer and his sister then spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars preserving her life and giving her care and treating her with dignity and respect. A very brave interviewer uh, uh, intersected with Singer uh, on, I can't remember, I think it was a radio program, and asked him how he reconciled his philosophical views with the way in which he treated his mother. Now, if you've read any of Singer's stuff, he actually has an allowance for personal feelings uh, when it comes into this equation. But it's still a fairly brave sort of question to ask in the context. Uh, Why didn't you act consistently? This is what he said. He said, it's different when it's your mother. (laughs) Now, you see, I think intuitively, he knew the truth of what God teaches at this point. Just like like I think most people do. Intuitively they get the very nature of the importance of being made in the image of God and the way in which it works and, and to be attracted by that truth. The dignity and value of all people. I want to just briefly talk for a moment about being made in the image of God and the way in which it's linked to our responsibility to take care of the world. It's interesting, on the sixth day, uh, human beings share that day with with animals. And it's said that um, there's a huge overlap in terms of our genetic makeup with the animals, some animals more than others. So uh, scientists indicate that there's over 95% correlation between humanity and uh, chimpanzees, for example. There's, There's a lot of connection here but but here's the big difference between human beings and animals unlike animals we have been given the task by god to care for his world right that is that's an important task i want to make a couple of comments and these are really brief i appreciate that but uh, on how we care for our environment humanity overall has had a bad track record in stewarding creation. Uh, We tend to manipulate it, we tend to strip it, we tend to use it for our own advantage and uh, greed. Now, it's interesting in the modern age, Christians have been blamed uh, for a lot of environmental issues based on some of the teaching here in Genesis chapter 1. Because people say, oh, see, you look in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about rule and it talks about subduing. They're, They're words that align with exploitation and greed, right? This is a Christian worldview that causes us to environmentally abuse our world. Can I say, when you, when you read Genesis chapter 1 in these early chapters of the Bible, you cannot possibly come up with that view. It's an impossibility to do that because God, the good God, has created a good world. He's made us in his image to superintend the good world that he has made. You cannot think that we're meant to look after this world independently from God or inconsistently with the way in which he has made it. 
Uh, it's not the only task we have, but it's a big task to actually think about how we care for what God has made. We don't own it. He owns it. All we're doing is under his authority, having a responsibility to look after it. Now, uh, that delegated authority means our rule will not be exploitation or greed, and subduing it will mean caring for a world in a way that reflects God's generosity, his wisdom, and his goodness. There's a lot more we could explore there, but uh, we do need to understand where we sit in God's patterns. The final thing I want to talk about just for a few moments is the fact that I, I don't believe you can be fully human unless you know the creator God. Actually, I think it's impossible uh, to know what it means to be made, uh, to be a human being, to know what it means to be that person, to be a person, unless you actually know God. I want to show you a a picture uh, that I observed. Sorry about the flashes. I took this with my phone, which is why it's not a great shot. Uh, Sue and I have been spending a bit of time in doctor's surgeries over the last 12 months. And uh, so you uh, tend to study the art on the walls because doctors, uh, apologies to doctors here, but sometimes are not on time. And uh, so we have uh, been spending a bit of time. I was in a a specialist surgery with Sue and noticed this print on the wall. Now you'll have picked up, this is stylized print of the Rundle Mall. there's an eye that sits above the mall's balls, and I think the, the mall's balls are represented as sort of teardrops uh, falling out of that eye. And I take it that this, this sterile desert depiction of the mall expresses the sadness of a culture that is just totally in the grip of materialism. Uh, the pigs you see there, uh, I think we are the pigs at the trough, and the smog and the desert landscape, they just highlight the environmental problems or vandalism that's occurred. You see, there's that mechanical arm over on the side. What you probably can't see on the screen is it's plucking up a foreigner to our land in order to dispose of them. Uh, Genesis 1 talks about how we're made in the image of God. When you get to Genesis 3... It captures how humanity rejects God and rejects living in relationship with him and under his loving care. Uh, The history of the Bible, the history of humanity, is we try and be God ourselves, which not only destroys our relationship with God, but it destroys our relationships with one another and destroys our capacity uh, to care for the world properly and to superintend it. You cannot have right self-image unless you serve the one who has made you in his image. So ignore God and you lose identity and purpose as a human being. The reading we heard from Colossians chapter 1 just earlier, it talks about the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, The Son of God came to this world and reflects the very nature of God, but the image of God, just like we're made in the image. Two things that come out of that. One is, Jesus actually does demonstrate what it means to be truly human. You want to know what you're meant to be, then take a good look at Jesus. 
because he captures the essence of what it means to be human in this world. But also, when you read through the Bible, you understand that Jesus is the one who helps us recover our true image or identity. And we need that because we all turn our back on God. In Mark chapter 2, one of the Gospels, there's a really interesting scene. Jesus is teaching uh, in a house with a crowd of people around the house and he's healing and teaching them about God. Uh, There are four guys who turn up with a friend who's a paralytic and they can't even get close to Jesus. So what they do is they go up on the roof, make a hole in the roof. They're they're good friends, destructive friends, but good friends. And uh, they lower their friend right down in the middle of this scene, right in front of Jesus. Now, what do you think they wanted Jesus to do at this point? Man, (laughs) on a stretcher, right in front of Jesus. It's obvious. They want Jesus to heal him so he can walk. And what does Jesus do? He says... Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I wonder if at that point, the bloke, his mates, maybe everyone in the room was thinking, so typical, right? Uh, You come to church for a sandwich and they give you a sermon. You know, the sort of, uh, this is not what we came here for. So why does Jesus do it? It almost seems cruel doesn't it why does he do that I'll tell you why because he identifies the man's biggest need and what's his biggest need well he has a lost image that is he's he's lost his relationship with God and that's what needs restoring And that can only be restored through forgiveness. And so Jesus forgives him to restore that relationship. And that can be wrong. Jesus then heals him and he walks out of the place. He doesn't neglect him at that point. But understand the big issue here. To be fully human is to come under the authority and the forgiveness of the one who made you and loves you. Now, can I say this morning, if if that is not you, if you've not come to a point where you know the forgiveness of God and that you have relationship with God, you you don't know what it means uh, to live as a person in this world. Not properly. You're missing out. And you need that. You need to know your identity is tied up with God in order to fully understand what you're made to be. Friends, you and me, uh, nothing but mammals. No, no way. So much more. You've been made in the image of the God who made the universe. How extraordinary is that? He made you for relationship with himself. And that is an extraordinary privilege. It's also an extraordinary calling and purpose. It's a wonderful thing to know you've been made in the image of God. Friends, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, just as we've explored this opening chapter of your word, we see such profound things jumping out at us, uh, amazing truths about the reality that 
that you're at the centre of all things. You're the creator of all that we see and touch and you've made us in your own image. And Father, we pray that uh, we won't seek for fulfilment or identity apart from you, but rather we'll look to you uh, to give us that right sense of who we are, um, our value in your eyes, and how we're meant to live in your world. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you that you sent your son to uh, rescue us, to bring us uh, back in a relationship with you, to restore our true image uh, in your son. And Father, we pray that in your kindness, uh, we'll keep working out what that means and and look forward to actually dwelling with you for all eternity. So Father, we, we thank you and we commend ourselves into your care and keeping in Jesus' name. Amen.